everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Mini Boat Podcast, <laughs> your weekly stop talk for movies, TV, music, and video games, not necessarily in that order. My name is Mike. His name is Matt. My name is Matt. His name is Mike. Yes, we never stop talking. That's how stop talk this is. Thank you for joining us. You know, at times we really podcast. don't stop talking it's when we true. have to stop ourselves. It's true. We go long. Uh, today is May the 6th. May the 6th be with you. 23. Revenge of the 6th. Yes, Revenge of the 6th, whatever you want to call it. Thank you for joining us. This is episode 383. Two. Two. One off. 382. Thank you. We're back in person. Uh, we returned from the desert. We're yes. here to give you a proper podcast, and we have a lot to talk about. So let's just jump right into it with music. And we always start music. With the billboard, and we start the billboard with the Hot 100. And at number one, Last Night by Morgan Wallen. Back at number one this week. At number two, Kill Bill by SZA. Coming in at three, Flowers by Miley Cyrus. Mm -hmm. At four, Ella Baya Sola by Esteban Armando. That's an L. Esteban? That's an L? (laughs) Yeah. No, T, Esteban. Okay, Esteban Armando. (laughs) You're wearing your glasses. Cross. (laughs) Cross, <laughs> Peso Pluma. Yes. And at number five, <laughs> Un Cross 102 by Grupo Frontera, Cross Bad Bunny. How many crosses are we going to do this? Cross. <laughs> so many crosses. Cross. Thank you for that. What about the Billboard 200? Your yeah, album's for your album's chart, your Billboard 200. At number one, uh, one thing at a time by uh, Morgan Wallen. Uh, Going at two, today by August D. <laughs> okay, that could be D Day. Yeah, could be. Uh, or started today. <laughs> uh, at three, folklore: colon, the Long Pond Sessions. Yes, by Taylor Swift. The Record Store Day exclusive. At number, which we talked about last week. We did. At number four, Midnight's by Taylor Swift. Mm-hmm. And rounding out your top five. Don't try this at home. But young boy, never broke again. <laughs> if you didn't listen to any of those albums, or if you didn't get your hands on the Taylor Swift record, we have new releases, mm-hmm. including The Love Invention by Allison Goldfrapp. Mm-hmm. Love me some Goldfrapp at Starbucks. <laughs> Sounds good. And Step Into the Light by Acacia String. That's it. That's it. Just two. <laughs> yeah, not, not that many big releases this week. That's okay, because there's a surprise release announcement. Yes. That happened uh, last night, last actually. Night? Yeah. Yes. In the middle of Nashville, uh, you may have heard tears, cheers, <laughs> jeers, cries, tries, buys, <laughs> thighs, lies, and more and more of guys. Well, sure. Something like that. Scream out in anger or frustration as they now have to wait two months for Taylor Swift's next Taylor's version album. Yes. She said to her fans, drop everything now. Yes. Because Taylor Swift let fans in her hometown of Nashville know that they are the first, not they're the first, but they're the first to know about the official news that Speak Now will be the next album in her Taylor's version series yes. of re-recorded albums. Switch is giving fans plenty of time to pre-order the 
Violet Vinyl, uh, she revealed that it's coming in all formats July 7th. Hey, 7 and 7. Yeah. Also, uh, July 9th. Exactly. That's the, that's the joke. Yes. <laughs> she mentioned that uh, at, at the thing. She, too, she was uh, on her tweet about it. She was like, yes, that's two days before July 9th. Wink, wink. If you know, you know. So she said to fans, so she said to fans and the screams and the fans, <laughs> um, quote, I think I, I'm, I think rather me speaking about it, I thought as fans realized from the language that the long awaited announcement was at hand. <laughs> I thought you should. I thought I would show you. So, if you would direct your attention to the big screens mm-hmm. behind me, <laughs> there the album cover and release date were shown before Swift launched into the "Speak Now" tracks "Sparks Fly" as the surprise song on her tour. So, yeah, it's exciting news. Uh, we kind of figured that "Speak Now" is going to be the next release. There was a lot of hints, especially in the um, a lot of the videos that she released in the Midnight's era. Um, so yeah, it, having a date and having an album, co- album cover feels good. Finally, it's here. Um, the best Taylor Swift album, according to me, uh, <laughs> is getting, is getting its Taylor version. And so she also confirmed on the tweet that she released six vault tracks, mm-hmm. uh, which is not that many, nope. uh, compared to the other re-releases, which makes sense because we already heard one technically, uh, speak now era vault track that was released as a fearless vault track when it shouldn't have been um mm-hmm. so this makes sense that there'd be like less material to um to put out there so yeah now it's just a waiting uh, now it's just to wait um if it's anything like the previous releases we may hear um some of these songs are, uh, early in a single capacity uh before mm-hmm. the release so i imagine we're probably just a few weeks away from getting sparks fly taylor's version yep. um which seems likely uh considering that was the song she did so yeah Look forward to it. Yep. Um, I also keep getting confused when I see this trending because it says, like, <laughs> Speak Now TV. Yeah. I'm like, TV? <laughs> oh, that's right. Taylor's version. Yeah, Chrissy, probably the, before she saw something about Red TV, and she was like, what's Red TV? Like, is that a <laughs> channel? Yeah. I'm like, no. <laughs> Taylor's version. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yes, uh, we'll be listening to that in exactly two months. So, yeah, look forward to that. Summer is here. In other news, yes. Um, in lawsuit news, hey, take it to court. Looks like Ed Sheeran doesn't have to quit singing. Hey, <laughs> Ed Sheeran was found not liable Thursday in Manhattan federal court on a copyright claim alleging that he copied key elements from the Marvin Gaye 1970s hit "Let's Get It On" <laughs> for his own recording, thinking out loud. The verdict that cleared him of copyright infringement came just a few hours of came after just a few hours of deliberation on Thursday, wrapping up a trial that lasted just under two weeks. Standing outside the courtroom, uh, Sheeran read a statement for reporters that made it clear how frustrated he felt at being accused of plagiarism and having the case reach trial. Quote, I am obviously very happy with the outcome of the case. And it looks like I'm not going to have to retire <laughs> from my day job after all, uh, Sheeran said, referring to a possibility, uh, possibly possibly hyperbolic <laughs> statement that he uh, made on the stand earlier this week that he would feel compelled to quit music if the verdict went against him. Quote, 
But at the t- but at the same time, I am absolutely frustrated that baseless claims like this were allowed to go to court at all. If the jury had decided this matter the other way, we might as well say goodbye to the creative freedom mm-hmm. of songwriters. You know, I don't say this often, but Ed Sheeran's right. Mm-hmm. Um, this is this would have established some really rotten precedent um, that would have brought a lot more popular songs to the court for plagiarism. Um, there's only so many chords, guys. There's only so many ways you can write a song. Um, I mean, there's infinite ways, but also like pop song construction is based on a legacy of sounds and chords, and things are going to sound like other things. Um, Look up four chord progressions yeah. and four chord songs right. on and YouTube. A lot of people have posted those videos this mm-hmm. week to kind of prove this point, which is you can do a lot with that those tools, but ultimately there's a certain amount of tools that everybody's going to be using. And this is what Ed Sheeran is getting at here. Yes. Was he kind of joking around when he said he would have to quit? Yes. But also there's some truth to that because not only him, be a lot of musicians that would feel that we wouldn't be able to write music anymore if they felt like they were going to get sued immediately when they put out a song. Um, So yeah, I'm glad that the court went this way. Um, I mean, this is a win, I think, for songwriters. Well, it's not just being sued, you know, Mm-hmm. Should you make a song and someone says, "Hey, that sounds like another song," you could be like Olivia Rodrigo and have to put their credits on your song, right, 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 post release, um, and they get royalties off that. Yeah. So hopefully, this will establish a good precedent that means that there's a little bit more freedom that artists can put out something that is similar or inspired by. Something. Wait, you're talking about a court establishing a precedent about freedom? No, weird. Yeah, kind of weird. weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's 2023. What's what are they doing? Yeah. What are they doing? I don't know. So, in celebration of Ed Sheeran's victory, he put out a new album. Yeah, well, I mean, he was going to put out the album anyways, but it just so happened that it did coincide with this victory. Yes, you listen to Subtract. Minus. Or Minus. Take away. I believe the official name is Subtract. Yes, but yes. with his addition, multiplication, division, equals. Um, so this, I understand, is a little bit of a pivot for Ed Sheeran. I've heard that it's kind of an introspective personal album. And, of course, this is the one that is produced by Aaron Dessner uh, of The National, who also, of course, famously produced Folklore and Evermore with Taylor Swift. So, <laughs> you listen to this. What do you think? I did not get a chance to take to take a look. It's good that you preference that with yes. um, Aaron Dessner uh-huh. producing it, because, damn, it does sound like a Taylor Swift record at times. Interesting. Uh, yeah. It is a lot of introspective into Ed Sheeran's life, especially yeah. the last couple of years. Um, life on the road, um, dealing with a lot of depression, a lot of kind of um, different thoughts going through his head through his writing process. Also, lots of water metaphors. Lots of him feeling <laughs> like he's in a boat, surrounded by water, not knowing where to go. Mm-hmm. At times, it feels like he's drowning in water. Um, lots of times, it feels like he just wants to dance in the rain. Lots of water metaphor and analogies okay. within this album. Right. I was not expecting that. <laughs> um, also, it's a pop album, but not one of the big pop albums. Not like um, the stuff that he's done before. I was going to say, so it sounds like he's taking a step back from like stuff like Shape of You, stuff like, especially the last couple of singles off the last record, yeah. like uh, Shivers and yeah. um, uh, Bad Habit. Yeah, and like Castle on the Hill before that. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, uh, none of it is like that big and that bombastic a lot of this is more introspective a lot of this feels a lot more personal album which i was not expecting going into this thing Mm -hmm. uh it's 
an hour long with uh, the deluxe version, an hour long with the bonus tracks. Otherwise, uh-huh. it's like 40 minutes. So it's a rather easy listen. Um, unlike other albums where it goes into like this heavy subject where I was like, okay, maybe I'm not ready for this. I didn't feel that way with Ed Sheeran's take on it. Okay. It felt more welcoming and it felt more like accepting of not just his understanding of like his mental health and his struggles, but like putting in such a general terms and knowledge and uh, songwriting and um, his ability to put pen to paper mm-hmm. in such a general sense for everyone to understand. Yeah is what makes this album better than what it probably should have been. Okay. Um, I liked it. I didn't love it. It's, mm-hmm. But then again, I don't know if I'm expecting like stadium music yeah, when you go on tour with this thing yeah, right. or more like yeah. Taylor Swift, Folklore, Evermore. This isn't the stadium tour. This is, right. I need to put this pen to paper so I can get it out of my head. I mean, you probably saw what Taylor did because they are friends yes. and I'm sure they talked. Um, it was probably like, oh, well, I want to do something like that. Something a little bit more intimate that still has the energy that's big enough for a stage. Because that's the thing we found out from the Eras tour is that those, a lot of people wondered when those albums came out, is the folklore stuff going to translate to an arena? Turns out they do. It's just mm-hmm. in a different way. And it's the star power of Taylor that lets that happen. I think Ed Sheeran is one of those few pop stars that has the same kind of effect. And so I think he found out like, oh, I can do this too. I can do a version of the same thing brings up my next question which is how does his kind of style mesh with the Aaron Dessner style because like Taylor turns out was a perfect match for that kind of vibe does Ed Sheeran kind of mesh with it in the same way not completely meshes because mm-hmm. as I mentioned every time like I could tell Aaron Dessner had his hands <laughs> on it I was like yeah. this feels like it could have been a Taylor Swift song or a lot of <laughs> Like yeah. uh, Taylor Swift inspired elements in like I mean, the writing. Even elements of folklore and evermore had that vibe where it's like, oh, this is just a, the national song that Taylor just happens to be singing. Mm-hmm. And we've more or less gotten that confirmed recently. Um, there was a couple of songs specifically that I guess in an interview Aaron said, oh yeah, those were just straight up national songs that we sat on. I gave them to Taylor and she reinvented it basically. Mm-hmm. Like, they, so yeah, there's probably some of that here where it's just like, oh, anybody could be here. Like the uh, Matt Berenger of the De- National could be singing this instead of Ed, and no one would bat an eye. So yeah, but the thing is, is like the thing that didn't wasn't the case with Taylor. She made it her own. Does that kind of make it his own, or is it kind of distracting? Uh, it's not distracting enough because it does flow with the rest of the album. I like it. I think the album from front to back has a good consistency, has a good flow. Nothing like breaks that kind of train of thought process. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like in terms of like a full album going from start to finish, it's a good album. Okay, I don't know if it's like yeah. I was gonna say, do you think I was just compare with Ed Sheeran because if this is a folklore style pivot, is this you see him doing more of this, or do you think that he's gonna go back to more of a pop minded sensibility? Uh, hard to say because I could easily see a um, Blink One Eighty Two kind of essence <laughs> where he's like, oh, you want a pop song? I'll write I you a damn pop, pop song. song. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you even saw Taylor do that with Midnight's, even though it's a different kind of pop album. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, it's an interesting experiment, then, it sounds like. It seems to work most of the time. Most of the time it does work, yeah. It doesn't feel like it's too long or it overstays its welcome, either, oh, which good. I kind of like. That's good. All right. Yeah. It's cool. a, uh Definitely check it out. Um, you'll probably get your own takes of it. Mileage yeah. may vary heavily on it yeah. because it's such material. Uh, but 
Not a terrible album. All right. Yeah, cool. That's subtract and Sheeran. Minus dash hyphen. <laughs> however you want to read it. <laughs> you also uh, have, I'm sure, some road stories to tell because you have returned from Stagecoach where you were last week. Yes. So last uh, one, it's hot as balls. Yeah. This is the hardest one it's been in some time. Yeah. 105 every day. <laughs> Yikes. Oh, yeah. Okay. My first question. How was the vibe? How was the vibe around any mention or depiction of Bud Light? <laughs> <laughs> that is the biggest headline I've seen. Where there was some, uh, there was some drama. Uh, so people were being drinking Bud Light. Yeah, there's Bud Light carts everywhere. Because Bud why, Light stage. Because that's what people do. It's hot. You want an easy to drink beer? Sure, it doesn't taste great, but you're trying to just get wasted in the desert, so you're gonna drink Bud Light. Also, if it's the shortest <laughs> line and you really need something. <laughs> Right, but were people making a show of hating on Bud Light? Were people, like, demonstrating their stupid, like, uh, weird-ass conservative hate? Uh, not a whole lot that I okay. saw. That's good. Uh, people were drinking it. Not, I think there was less Bud Light shirts around. Sure. But there's still a lot of Budweiser shirts, Anheuser-Busch yeah. shirts, yeah. Coors Light shirt, Miller shirt. Those with the culture. Yes. <laughs> Uh, but one thing I didn't notice was that the um, beer cowboy hats, box yeah, hats that they took were no wear, longer were no longer relevant. Light. So I think that's part of like the bro culture. Yeah. Uh, country bros. They were worried the, the bros weren't going to buy the Bud Light brand stuff anymore. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Oh, which reminds me, I do need to show you my shirt that I wore. <laughs> okay. After. If yes, you, you told me you would be wearing it. You're not wearing it. Well, it's Star Wars Day. No, it's not. That was two days ago. Well, it's Revenge of the Sixth. Anyways, so what was the best? Uh, what are the some highlights of the of who you saw? Uh, so last week I mentioned that uh, John Party officially inducted right. into the um, yep. uh, Grand Ole Opry Country's yeah. Hall of Fame. Very cool. That was fun to see. Yeah. Uh, Chris Stapleton. Okay. Did not expect him to close. Well, one he was going to close, but I wasn't expecting to like his music as much as I did. Oh, sure, yeah, no, he's pretty cool. Um, turns out, yes, he really is indeed an entertainer of the year. I like that song that he did with Taylor on Epimo. I did not sing it here. <laughs> or no, that's a Red Bones track. Uh, red, yeah, uh, that was really two weeks ago. Not singing it here, no. That's, Taylor did not show up. She did not show she up. She was busy. <laughs> she was busy in her own uh, <laughs> yeah. side of the, the country. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I did not expect to enjoy that much Chris Stapleton because okay. uh, I knew like of his like hits, but even like the hits that I knew of, don't know how they would essentially travel, sure, travel and translate yeah. to a festival setting mm -hmm. but, because he's not arena based. No, like, he's, yeah, he's I'm gonna make you feel stuff. Yeah, more traditional singer songwriter kind of vibe. Mm -hmm. Outside of him basically taking two minutes to switch out guitars and everything. <laughs> Where it just went black and there was no like yeah. intermittent like talker jabs or anything. <laughs> he didn't mean anything. He just, no, was like, just no, okay. don't wait for I'm me. I'm gonna play like I'm gonna play my song. It's gonna be awesome. Uh -huh. And now you're gonna wait like a minute, two minutes while I <laughs> yeah. switch out everything. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, Brooks and Dunn, awesome. Okay. Yeah, Turnpike. Too many people at Turnpike. Oh no, <laughs> they, they should have been put on the side stage. Yeah, just overcrowded and packed. And they're one of the bands that um, I'm gonna. Love seeing when they eventually hit that main stage. Oh, yeah. Because they will. They will. Uh, other than that, Kane Brown. Okay. We have to talk about Kane Brown. <laughs> Do we? Well, we have to talk about how, what bad it was. Yeah. Two, he didn't really know what exactly he wanted to do. And three, <laughs> the crowd picked up on it 
and left his set early wow. to go to Nelly. I have heard some things about that Nelly show. <laughs> Apparently, that was the showstopper, the place to be. Yes, which is very weird. <laughs> like stagecoach. Yes, stagecoach Nelly. We remember when we saw Nelly? Yeah, like it wasn't that big of a deal. There was barely anybody there. <laughs> And somehow you put him on a stagecoach stage and everybody Nelly freaks out. and Flowrider. Yeah, we saw Nelly, Flowrider, and the remaining members of TLC. Yes. And it was just like nobody was there. It was just like chill vibes. Flowrider was trying to get people into it. Nobody was taken. And then all of a sudden I can read this headline. It's like, oh, Nelly, like, really brought everybody up. Like, like really, like, was the highlight of stagecoach. I'm like, what are they talking about? <laughs> So you think it's just that it was a confluence of like we finally reached this weird moment where the people who are going to these festivals are exactly our age and grew up with Nelly and is just now like we freak out when Nelly's on stage. No, it's because Cam Brown's stupid. <laughs> I mean, he does seem like he sucks. <laughs> Say it. Uh, I mean, it's a confluence of having Cam Brown and Nelly at the same time. Sure. Like, there's the overlap, which normally they don't do that with headliners. Uh, but Nelly wasn't the only, like, non-country act there. Diplo was there. He's been there for a couple right, of years now. Yeah. And so this theory, tinfoil hat theory, okay. is that this is their way of pivoting into not just solely country acts. Because you have other acts that have influenced yeah. um, Stagecoach in the past, like Cindy Lauper, yeah. like uh, Brian Adams, who was there this year. Ooh, great set, by the way, for Brian Adams. Yeah, I saw I you really saying that. Yeah. yeah. Or maybe that was Kristen. I don't know. That's Kristen. Yeah, well, on her Instagram story. I yes. Think, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, you have all these, like, especially like legacy acts that aren't necessarily country, mm-hmm. but have the name of Cachet and the, um, like, Smokey Robinson, for yeah. instance. So people you don't normally, like, associate with a festival mindset are coming here because Palm Springs, Desert, yeah. Golf, relaxation. How do you feel about this? Because. I've noticed that this seems to be a recurring theme in country music as a genre. Mm -hmm. It seems like there's this constant need for country to try to have these continuous crossover moments. And what it means is, is that they want to, I guess, ever since like you had the 90s crossover moment with Shania Twain, Mm -hmm. like they've been chasing that dragon. And what (laughs) it translates to in a lot of cases is you have the CMT Crossroads series, which yes. is let's purposely have other artists from other genres come in. And then every year on the CMAs, they try so hard to be like, oh, well, we have this person doing a duet who is not in country music with this country music person. It's like they try so desperately. It almost feels similar to the video game awards where they yeah. try so desperately to be this other thing that they drag in people from outside to be part of their moment to add some sort of extra legitimacy, which is weird to me because I see it country as this very specific thing that sure branches out every once in a while. I just don't feel like country needs to do this, but this just feels like another example of the country music industry trying to appeal to too many people, like trying to be too broad when they really should focus on what they do best. Yes. But in order to, but okay. So the reason that it's on stagecoach is because it's a festival setting. Right. You need multiple acts going on at all yes. times. But how long is it going to take for this to be too similar to Coachella? Like, what is the line then between Coachella and stagecoach? Is it blurring? Are we starting to see this line blur? Like, 
I think you're seeing it blur more with rock and roll than you are with okay. pop music. Yeah. I mean, Diplo being there is weird in and of itself. Yeah. Well, especially when he announced it in 2019, I think. We said he was going to do a Sunday set uh, after everyone left. Yeah. Uh, that stuff, when it was announced, was weird. Yeah. Uh, it's... But it is opening the door and it yeah. is kind of like, hey, you don't have to strictly be country. Right. To come to stagecoach. But some of the frustration for me about this is that, yes, I agree with that in theory. And I agree with that in theory because there are artists that are within the country or on the fringes of what we call country or Americana, for example. Can we blame Lil Nas X? Maybe. Um, it's part of that movement, for sure. But like, I think there's artists that are on the fringe of country or in the Americana kind of genre that we could then instead of reaching out to the pop side, we could be incorporating more of this alternative country scene, right? Mm-hmm. If we did, if they did that, I feel like that'd be a better move because then you're saying, well, not only are we inclusive, but we're inclusive to this other so- sound. And there are certain certain you know things in the country music industry right now that are trying this. You mm-hmm. see that in the Apple Music My Kind of Country show. Yeah, they're trying to try to say like, oh, we're seeing these fringe acts. We're acknowledging them and trying to bring them into the mainstream. Um, weird, weird segue. I'm going to min- mention something that I, that I did in the last couple of weeks. I didn't get to talk about last week because it's not really stuff we cover. But I went to the LA Times Book Festival mm-hmm. um, and I saw a panel with um, a few people talking about their country books about the country genre. And one of the one of the uh, the the people on the panel was Margot Price, okay. alternative country artist Margot Price, mm-hmm. and she was talking about this. And how like she it's frustrating for her in a lot of cases because people do see her as this fringe alternative artist and there's not really a place she doesn't feel like there's a place for her and some similar artists because they're often told they're too rock and roll for country or too country for rock and roll and so it's like it's frustrating to me that the industry you know in events like stagecoach and in things like the cmas Mm -hmm. like aren't seeing that as an opportunity Instead, they're trying to get the like to get the pop singers or the the bigger rock and roll stars instead of looking at the wealth of opportunities they have within their own genre. I don't know. That's why it's frustrating. Luke Bryan probably as close as you get to pop. Yeah, in, he's pretty pop. Uh, you say Yeah. Uh, or El King, I guess she was there too. Well, she's done the opposite she switched, in a weird yeah, way. She, she pop pivoted straight to, to country, country recently. Um, so yeah, like I think that's it. that's just what I wanted to say because like I feel like if Stagecoach ha- Stagecoach has an opportunity here to bring in some smaller names that I think that they're whipping on Coachella has always been that yeah. festival. They always try to get those bottom of the poster like bands to break. Uh, I feel like Stagecoach has an opportunity to do that, and they're not doing it. Instead, they're getting Nelly. Yeah, uh, it's also a difference between what what's going to attract people. Because you don't want to get strictly blues grass, uh, blues country grass, uh, country acts. But you need to mix in with kind of like the country pop. But what Coachella does is that they have the big names to draw. They also have multiple stages, though. It's supposed to be like a trickle down, right? Yes. And I feel like that Stagecoach, if they expanded a little bit, that's a good point. If they expanded and brought more stages, then maybe you could have that trickle down effect. Maybe somebody who's there for Luke Bryan will tune in for uh, for a Margot Price. We'll turn in for a, a Caitlin Butts, you know, who was there. This yes. Year. But, like, that's what I'm talking about. It's like there's a t- more of an opportunity there. And so it saddens me almost that they're not taking those risks 
And instead, they're just being like, I don't know. Who do we get? Nelly? Speaking of Caitlin Butts, <laughs> headline the Bud Light tent. Hey! And I don't back around. <laughs> Full circle. All right. So there you go. Yes. Uh, one stagecoach. Yeah. One huge thing about stagecoach to note this year is that they switched up the uh, stage. Okay. Normally, it faces um, east to west. Mm-hmm. This year, they faces north-south, the way Coachella's done it. Mm-hmm. Uh, for some reason, they didn't want to move the stage. I don't know. I didn't like it. <laughs> I thought it was too chaotic, and people kept running into people because there's no set boundaries, and they need to fix that. Yeah. I hope they go back to the way it was last year, or mm-hmm. the previous years. Well, perhaps you'll find out. Uh, well, it next... might be a little more complicated next year. <laughs> yes. Morgan Wall might show up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what? You don't want your child seeing that. No. Yeah, let's move on. <laughs> All right, let's move on then into video games. Very excited for today's video game section. Yes. But before we get there, before we get there, we have to start with new releases. Yes. We're starting with Darkest Dungeon 2. Darkeninger. No, or... there's no subtitle. <laughs> well, you already have the Darkest Dungeon, but yeah. you're having a sequel to Darkest Dungeon. They could just have called it Darker Dungeon, but I guess you can't do that because it was already the Darkest Dungeon. Yes. You can't get darker than that. Can't get darker than Darkest? No. Um, You call it Void, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Void Dungeon is actually a really cool name. (laughs) Should have done that. (laughs) Uh, That's coming up for the PC. We also have Fuga, colon, (laughs) Melodies of Steel 2. It's on everything. For everything. Wide release. (laughs) I don't know what that is, but it's on everything. Uh, We also have T.T. Isle of Man, colon, <laughs> Ride on the Edge 3. It's a racing game. Yes, this is a motorbike game. Yeah. I know what Isle of Man is. It's, <laughs> it's a place. Well, what? And it's also, a place. it's oh, where they race. The, 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 the GP motorbikes. Right. Uh, that's out for everything. Is that what that couple was watching when we were at the at the restaurant? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's what they wanted to watch. Yeah. <laughs> Except the XFL was on. Right. You need to watch the XFL. Way more important, apparently. Yes. All right. And then uh, that's it. No, there's one big release this week. What? Yeah. No, I'm sorry. That was already released. Well, we'll get there. Well, we'll get there right now. Because Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom for the Switch. Big release this week. Yes. Or, if you've been paying attention online. Well, yeah. Has already been released and leaked online. It's been leaked. Okay. So, Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom has linked online nearly two weeks ahead of its official release date. It's an old story. On <laughs> Monday, yeah. images and videos appearing to show the opening section of the game began being widely shared across social media sites and private Discord channels. One player even streamed the game on Twitch for around 30 minutes <laughs> before the channel was removed, quote, at the request of the copyright holder, yeah. of particular concern to Nintendo will be that some of the shared media claims to show the highly anticipated Nintendo Switch sequel running via a PC emulator. Mm-hmm. Unsurprisingly, those looking to avoid story and gameplay spoilers before their official release on May 12th may want to tread carefully on social media for the <laughs> next couple of days. Yeah. So a couple things is, uh, yes, one, this will be coming in so hot. We probably won't be able to talk about it next week. Uh, no, it's not so, on my list. Two weeks? Maybe. Um, but also, also, um, yeah, this is a, this is lame because I'm sure a lot of people are very excited for this game and are going to hate that they can't even look at Twitter mentions about it because they're that, afraid to see it. Not that you should be looking at Twitter anyway. No, but yeah, but. 
but yeah, it's going to be hard. It's going to be like dodging, you know, dodging things for the next six days, which people are not you know, going to be mm-hmm. happy about because this is a very anticipated game. The other half of this is, yes, this is a show of where we're at in the state of the Switch right now, which is that thing has been blown wide open. Even games that aren't even out are already on PC emulators. It's mm-hmm. like Nintendo has another problem. It seems like every single time that they try to put out a new console and try to make it more secure and less prone to hacking, it doesn't work. They get hacked and torn apart so fast every single time. We saw this with the DS, we saw this with the 3DS, and now we're seeing it with the Switch. It's just like they're, they're, it's just getting less likely that a Nintendo platform is not going to just be immediately emulated, mm-hmm. which sucks for Nintendo. Um, yeah, we don't have time to get into the, you know, the, the stuff that happened recently with the ROM, with the other Bowser. Yes, the um, other Bowser. Not the one that works for them, but the one that was part of the uh, a company that was releasing ROMs. The one where he has to pay 30% oh, of paycheck for life. Yeah, so I didn't, Nintendo. we didn't have this as a news story the last couple of weeks, but yes, uh, decided this was a good time to mention it now. That's way too harsh of a, uh, of a, of a, of a, like a, a punishment, I think, for Nintendo to give out to this dude. And he wasn't even the guy from the operation that was actually... He was just like a marketing guy. Mm-hmm. They couldn't even get the real dude because I guess he's in France and he was like dodging them every step of the way. So yeah, like it's just a weird moment for Nintendo where they have this really big, huge release coming out that's going to be a huge sales uh, success for them. Huge critical success probably. It's going to be the Switch game. And then they have to deal with this. Plus on top of that, the like the PR for this, uh, you know, this uh, this situation with this guy is way terrible just such a complicated stew of things for nintendo to deal with all at once and for fans of nintendo to deal with because i get there's a lot of conflicted feelings right now Mm -hmm. about like yeah i'm excited for zelda but dude they have to stop like just completely ruining lives over this stupid piracy stuff it's just it's a weird balance and they're not striking a balance right now (laughs) Well, they could just put an emulator on a PC and say, hey, buy directly from us. Yeah, they're never going to do that. Nintendo does not understand how the internet works, <laughs> is the thing. They just refuse to have a modern approach to anything about uh, about how how any of that works. And so, like, as long as they do that, they're going to view piracy as this foreign monster that's destroying their sales, mm-hmm. even though there's no proof that they actually have that much of a loss. So, yeah, it's just frustrating. Does this maybe uh, lead to a bigger push to release a follow-up to the Switch? No. So that they can work on a more secure version of a similar hardware? Like, no. I think maybe this is the moment. No. Uh, if anything's going to make them do it, it's money. Well, yes, but you know, hardware in development takes years yeah. of R&D. They've already been working on that stuff. R&D yes. never stops yes. at, these, at all console manufacturers. Sony is making a PlayStation 6 right now. I hate to break it to you. Mm-hmm. They're all thinking about the next thing. They're always doing that. If they weren't, they would never make it to market. So yes, Nintendo is absolutely working on a follow-up to the Switch right now. But I think that that, Switch gets, too. that gets sped up, I think, when this stuff starts to happen as in this rate that it's happening right now. Switch you. I hope they don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's move on to the second story. All right, let's go on. Okay. Um, across the other... Uh, yes. Big temple of a company, publisher company. Xbox boss Phil Spencer has 
publicly apologized for the launch date of its latest big first-party release, Redfall, yes. which we'll talk about we'll in talk a minute about here. In a second here. And claimed that developer Arcane Austin will work on improvements for the game. The first major Xbox exclusive from Bethesda launched <laughs> this week with a number of technical issues and has generally been reviewed poorly, garnering aggregate scores of 62 um, for the Xbox Series X and S and 58 for the PC version on Metacritic. At the time of publishing, the co-op shooter has user scores of just 2.6 <laughs> and 1.9 out of 10. <laughs> Addressing Redfall's disappointing reception in a new interview with Kind of Funny <laughs> Games, Microsoft's head of gaming claimed the platform holder did not expect such negative reception to the game, citing internal mock reviews which allegedly suggested it could have received much higher scores he also suggested that delaying the game further which we should note was originally supposed to be due out in 2022 would not have solved its biggest issues okay so some stuff to unpack here so this was one of the few times that phil spencer did an interview like this with a games media publication I mean, kind of funny is weird because they mostly just do videos, um, mm -hmm. but they do have an Xbox podcast, and this is what he guessed it on. He does this every once in a while. Uh, notably, he used to occasionally show up at Giant Bomb's E3 uh, couch shows where they would just have all sorts of game developers and personalities on. And yeah, Phil Spencer has a history of sometimes appearing at stuff like that. But now is a very interesting time for him to do something like this. Redfall just came out, and then also, this is, of course, during a continued stress about the acquisition mm -hmm. and whether it will happen or not, thanks to this new uh, CMA denial in, in the uh, UK. Yep, which we talked about last week. So I think some of this kind of, I'm going to give it to you straight kind of real talk, is because he's trying to improve his hearts and minds reception right now when dealing with this larger company problem. Yes. So of course he wants the gamers to be on his side. So of course, yes, there's a little bit of throwing Arcane Austin under the bus here. Um, but it is at the same, even knowing all of that is true, it is kind of nice to see somebody in this kind of power, uh, place of power to admit that there are problems with these releases. There are problems with the Xbox's strategy right now. And to be uh, upfront about it is kind of heartening. Um, as for Redfall, uh, I'll talk about my thoughts about it in a second, but yeah, it's interesting to have somebody like this talk about, like, just straight up, like, yeah, the game is not great. Like, the game is underperformed. We don't know why. We're going to try to fix it. Mm -hmm. And, but we have to admit, like, on face value, people just aren't seeing what we saw. You mentioned those mock reviews. That's something every company does. Outside of video games, everything. Like, you know, you see it with movie screenings, internal yep. movie screenings. You get, like, audience reaction. And that paints the final release. So, yeah. People apparently internally really liked Redfall, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to translate uh, to other people because, yeah, it came in really hot. It came in, like, with some issues, and, yeah, I'm glad that he's at least admitting it. Now, this is one of two uh, first-party releases that Xbox has on the year. That's right. Yeah. Two on the year. Yeah. Uh, the other one being Starfield. Yeah, so a lot of people are talking about what does this mean for Starfield? Mm-hmm. 
Starfield, a Bethesda game, of course, Bethesda Game Studios, another studio that's known for releasing their products, at least in the past, as buggy messes that need to be patched eternally. Um, this has also started to kind of uh, spark this conversation within games media about like, should reviewers focus on bugs? Should that be what we're talking about? Or should we focus on the potential the game has beyond technical issues, assuming that they will get fixed? There's a whole other can of worms. It's just that a lot of this moment in video games is talking about games are shipping broken and why? Mm-hmm. Like, why? Are the studios not getting enough time? Is it a time issue? Phil Spencer suggests it's not. Is it a pipeline issue? That's what he's saying in this interview. Uh, outside of what we talked about, he's also saying, like, is this a pipeline problem? Is this a process problem? Is Xbox Game Studios' responsibility now to rework how the games are developed with their individual internal studios. Because if Red, the way Redfall was developed and pipelined d- did not succeed, they think that it's a systemic issue and they need to develop a better mm-hmm. system in order for this to not happen again. There's a lot of questions about why these things happen and how to prevent them going forward. And I don't have the answers, and I'm hoping that Microsoft or Sony or Nintendo do. Well, I think Xbox was kind of banking on them acquiring uh, Activision Blizzard. <laughs> yes. Just for, just in terms of like a release, uh, release calendars. Uh, yeah. That would secure them with Diablo 4. Diablo 4? Yeah. Yeah. 4 for this year. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of, a lot, I'm sure they were kind of hoping that there would be more resources that way. Um, it doesn't look like that's going to happen anytime soon. No. Uh, there's also a quote missing from this interview. I don't know if it was this interview or a different one. Uh, Phil Spencer saying that he doesn't see the Xbox competing with the PS5 at its current <laughs> state, that yeah. uh, when Starfall uh, releases, Starfield. Starfield releases, that um, it's not going to get people to immediately jump ship to the Xbox. No, he's right. It's not strong enough. They got off on the wrong foot, I think, in a lot of ways with this generation. That being said, still a lot better than the Xbox One generation. He admits that in mm-hmm. this interview, too. He basically says, like, yeah, I mean, we were aware that we came in second place there. We were where we lost a lot of ground to Sony during the PS4 era. Like, he admits that, and the series, in a lot of ways, is a correction to that, but they just need to figure out how they can consistently release quality games like Sony can. And that's where they're failing. Mm-hmm. Sony can put out God of Wars and Last of Us's and survive based on the critical reception of those games. They always review well. Microsoft just isn't showing up to the plate with that kind of move. They just can't do it reliably. And all the games that they think will, they're way back in the release calendar because of how long they're taking to release, like your Perfect Dark remake, mm-hmm. your next Gears of, Gears of War. Those hits aren't coming fast enough. Oh, yeah, they are very cool making the next Gears of yes, War. Yes, they are. Gears of War 6 is still in development. <laughs> that, is the finish, that is the last game in this current trilogy. They have to put it out. <laughs> but when is it coming out? Who knows? They give the Coalition a long, lot, a long leash with those projects because they want to make sure they're good. But they did that with Redfall 2, and it still didn't work. So that's what mm-hmm. they got to figure out. They're really looking at a crisis right now that they need to avoid, even though in the big, like, big picture, they're not doing that badly. It's just that they're losing the hearts and minds game. And Phil Spencer is the hearts and minds guy. He's always been. Mm-hmm. And so that's why he's concerned. So yep. hope they figure it out. Um, yeah. Uh, we don't have it on here. Did we talk about last week about Waypoint? So, no, we didn't mention it. Uh, yeah, we should briefly just bring it up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Vice is going bankrupt. 
And so part of that is that they have shut down a lot of, of their smaller websites, their, their parallels. And also they've laid off a lot of people, including, yes, as you mentioned, the entire staff of Waypoint. Waypoint will end on June 2nd. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, it just sucks. It just sucks to see like such a, you know, a staple of video game criticism just disappear because their parent company just didn't know how to deal with them. Well, because even Waypoint found it because the previous company went under? So no, not really. Uh, Waypoint was really um, a combination of a couple things. They, Vice did have a video games um, uh, section uh, before that, mm-hmm. but they didn't have really identity. And one of the things that they did was they hired Austin Walker from yes, Giant Bomb. That's what it was. To try to create an identity for them. Yes. He did. Then, of course, he left later uh, to pursue video game stuff and has been there ever since. And they've kind of, you know, they've existed. You know, of course, uh, journalist Patrick Klepek has kind of kept the, the place afloat for the last uh, six years. And now they're all out of work and they have to figure out what their next steps are. And I really hope they all find their footing because, yeah, it sucks to lose something like that. Um, especially when they were on a subscription model. Yep. They had launched Waypoint Plus, a direct-to-consumer. I was a member. I was paying every month. Um, and yeah, it was great. They were making some great stuff there. And they were even profitable. They were making a profit for Vice. But ultimately, it's not enough to break even. It, this is a perfect segue into what we'll talk about later with the writer strike, mm-hmm. is the, the studios and have something in common with these publications, which is, it's not enough for your shareholders to break even or make a little bit of money. They want to see exponential growth. And if you don't see exponential growth, you're seen as a failure. And so that's when you are willing to lose your writers in both of these cases, uh, because you see them as just a cog that gets you to that exponential growth. You see them not getting there. You blame them instead of this weird obsession with greed that all these studios have. No, it can't be the studios that's the problem. No, <laughs> no God, it must no. be the individual. Right. And so, yeah, we'll get there later when we talk about the writer strike. But yeah, it's just a plague on everything right now. Everything has the same end, which is if the company's not making a billion dollars, they don't think it's worth it. And they'll just shut the whole thing down. Sucks. But yeah. Speaking of things that suck. <laughs> Vampires. Yes. They did. Of course. Not the game. No. Well, <laughs> maybe. Okay. So Redfall. Yes. As that story your, suggested. Yes, your co-op not definitely not zombie game. So no. And more in line with vampire game. But you can't say vampires though. <laughs> Apparently not. So yeah, so Redfall, Arcane, uh, Austin, uh, they I guess wanted at least Redfall to be this like co-op game that's inspired by some other famous co-op games it's inspired but there's a lot of borderlands dna here mm-hmm. it is very much a um very much a uh, like a co-op uh focused power-based loot shooter so you're tr- expected to go in and in this open world with some friends use your uh power moves basically and they're supposed to interact with each other in interesting ways to beat these enemies, especially these vampire enemies who like are a little tougher and they require some strategy. You're supposed to co-op strategy, you know, figure out these like combat encounters while you're collecting better and better guns as you go on, better weapons as you as you continue. And of course there's a skill tree where you're leveling up your guys. There's some minor customization, so you can get like new outfits and heads and stuff to uh, like outfit your specific class. And yeah, you're choosing one of four basically classes 
who have their own unique personalities and fighting styles. Well, that sounds like a good pitch. Uh, but the thing with Redfall is, it seems like that was where they started and they just couldn't quite get it to mesh and for it to click. Hmm. So it's a game that, at first, makes an okay first impression. There's some neat stuff with the lore, like the the ocean, like time, like time has somehow stopped on the ocean. So there's really cool like imagery with like the ocean, like frozen in time. On its face, it seems like it'd be fun, like to go around shooting things. The vampires having a slightly different uh, combat strategy than the normal ass dudes is an interesting idea because you have to kind of go up to them once you've depleted their energy bars and stick them through the heart to kill them. Seems like it would like lead to some interesting combat scenarios, like oh. Like let's let I'm gonna go over here, stake this guy. You guys focus on this. Like conceptually, there's a lot there. I like some of the stuff that it's trying to do, but the thing that they fumble on is the moment to moment feel. It never feels cohesive. It never feels like that fun. You're doing these things just to kind of do them, which was why I compared it to Forspoken when I was on the stream. It has some things in common where like they both have a good baseline. The combat in both is fun, like is decent enough where you don't hate doing it, but you have to do so much of the both of those things, and there's an open world surrounding it that just nothing is happening in. There's how the one of the weird things about Redfall is that there's houses that you can go in, and there's houses that are completely shut down, that there's no knobs on those doors. You cannot <laughs> so like you don't know until you go up to a house whether or not there's something doing it. Um <laughs> the game that shall not be named had that same problem as well. Yeah. I get that. You can't make every single house full stuff, but then if there's nothing to do with it, don't put it on the map, is kind of my opinion. Mm-hmm. Like, do, like, have something interesting happening. The loot's not that interesting. The way they do the uh, approach to the loot does not make like, the, it does not make that much sense in a modern way. It's similar to the Borderland construction where there's rarity, and then there's also level. Mm-hmm. And that will depend on, like, and so you have to sometimes think Oh, is this like common weapon that's level five actually better than my purple weapon that's level three? Mm-hmm. You have to be constantly making those decisions. And you can only hold three guns at once. Also, also, only certain guns have stakes on them for the staking of the vampires. So there's a constant feeling of uh, constantly swapping between weapons mm-hmm. when I should just be sticking the weapon long enough to like until I need to move it. You're Why? constantly thinking, oh, no, I need this one. Oh, shit, I need this one. Why can't you have a stake as your melee weapon? Yeah. That'd be attached to a gun. That makes sense, right? I think that they wanted like, they wanted to do more with this combat that I think they ultimately ended up doing. There's a lot of evidence of this was a bigger game that was pared down. For example, the skill tree is very obvious that something happened with the skill tree. Mm-hmm. Because you have stuff like, so the character I was playing, one of their powers was like C4. You can throw C4, press the button again to uh, explode it. Yes. But what happens when you level it up on the skill tree? I don't know. It has a wider radius. That's one of them. Like, literally, that's it? Okay. Well, what else am I going to be able to do with this thing? Oh, the next step up. Oh, it's like, I don't know. It does that. And also, the the cooldown timer is, is shorter. Like, that's it? It feels like there was more that they wanted to do mm-hmm. with these powers. One theory I heard on a podcast was it almost seems like several of these were supposed to be one character 
and they ran out of time and so they just made they just separated them into like three characters <laughs> and just gave them all their individual stuff instead of having that one character have all these things to do it's so weird some of them some of the powers are completely useless when you're not playing in co-op the mm-hmm. final power for my character was oh you press both shoulder buttons in to do a healing zone for to create a healing zone for your co-op partners if i'm playing solo i will never use that power mm-hmm. So it's like, why is it here? Why is there not some sort of additional benefit that it has? Some individual benefit plus <laughs> a group benefit. It's like there's so many steps into the, this game where I'm like, well, they could have just done this. Why didn't they do this? Why didn't they get to that extra step? They get to the precipice and they don't quite step that extra time. And so it feels like just this incomplete theory, like incomplete thing. Also, like I said, the open world is pretty much dead. The characters are devoid of personality. There's like a hub fire station that you go into. You can talk to people too, but they don't really have much to say. There's not a whole lot of like like story here. There's like a baseline of story that you're aware of, and they don't really go beyond the beginning of it. Like as you start playing, there's just not enough there to really hook you. At the end of every mission, once you complete it, you have to return to that fire station, which is just a fast travel away. But it's like why you go to and all the cutscenes. And also the cutscenes feel unfinished. The cutscenes are done in this kind of like where there's there's 3D models happening, but it's just the camera panning around them in like a diorama style. So it's like, wait, they didn't even animate cutscenes? <laughs> like, did they really run out of that much time or budget or whatever that they couldn't even make like a triple A cutscene here? Like, what's happening with Redfall? Then last thing I want to say is that yes, there are some technical issues. I played on both PC to start, and then also I moved to Xbox to try to see if there was a difference. Um, there's technical issues in both, but I noticed more in the PC version, which is why you see that slightly lower Metacritic. Yeah. There was one house I walked into while I was streaming that had vampires that were just chilling. And I mean, just chilling. I went up to them and they did not like activate as enemies. I could walk right through them. They were just floating in the middle of the room doing nothing. I shot at them. Bullets went right through them. They were not in a state. Like they were just like T-posing, just waiting and did not like activate in that state of like, oh, we're enemies now. And so they were just standing there. And I was like, well, I can't do anything in this house until I can kill these vampires. And even if I did, what would I get? Yet another weapon I'm not going to use? Out of my 50 weapons that I'm not going to use? There's just such a lack of hook in this game. There's just no reason to play it. So I stopped playing it, and I don't think I'm going to go back to it. I don't even know if there's a whole lot more they can do with Redfall. I think just as a concept, they just didn't do enough with it where it's anything anybody's going to want to play more than like an hour. So another co-op game that you did play that you also bounced off of, <laughs> yeah. China Tina's Assault on Dragon's Keep. Yeah, I like that better than this. Wow. Um, you hated Assault on Dragon's Keep. I didn't Keep. hate it. I didn't hate it. Don't get me wrong. I did not hate that game. I just said I, it was just it was more Borderlands in a presented in a manner I didn't really love. And there were some important things that that game does that this game doesn't. I think that the overworld kind of strategy is better in that game. I think it has a personality, whether you like it or not is another Mm -hmm. question. Redfall doesn't even have that. So I feel like Redfall is just not even close to having an identity, which is unfortunate because I think that on paper, this should have been interesting and in execution, it's not. Does it feel like Left 4 Dead, but with It's not weapons? Left 4 Dead really at all, because yeah. Left 4 Dead is more like 
you they put you in kind of a a linear story mission you have to get from point a to point b while fighting these zombies okay this is not that this is an open world game okay which means that there's really no uh, stakes no pun intended pun intended right um so yeah it's just every step of the way this could have been something more interesting and it just fails okay so yeah that's redfall i do not recommend it it's on game pass if you want to try it but it's probably a waste of your time well you tell like you jumped right off that <laughs> yes um game i have been playing and tried to stream yeah uh star wars jedi yes. colon survivor yes let's talk about a good game that i will be playing more of okay so you've yeah. played this too then. i have played i'm about an hour and a half in uh, i guess got to i finished the i, I fought the, the boss the first yes. boss and then i've done like 30 more minutes after that okay have you gone to greece yet greece yeah you mean like I'm not in the next area. I'm still in Coruscant. Oh, you're still in Coruscant. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I'm about to. I stopped right before I'm about to make the yeah, like the travel. About to travel to the next. Area. Oh, okay. So I am just past that. Okay. Um, on the second planet, and haven't gotten to like the next huge checkpoint yet. Right. Huge um, story chapter checkmark yet. So I like where this game oh, starts. Me too. <laughs> You start as the actual Jedi. Yeah. You don't. There is right. no There's power no reset. Abilities. There's none of that. It's just like yes. no. You get you get everything you had at the end of the last game. Presumably, I did not finish the last game. Um, here you start with that. Um, you get most of them like okay. right off the bat. Um, have you gotten to the new stance forms? I got a new stance when I finished finished the um, the first boss. I can't remember who. I think you the do. dual wield yes. stance. I got yeah. That. Okay. So yeah, more stances. Yeah. It's not just a single like single yeah. or dual. Yeah. It's not Darth Maul or regular. Yes. <laughs> Goofy and regular. Yes. Like escape. You don't have dual wield. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, plus two other mysterious forms that we haven't gotten to yet. Right. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot in this game, oh, yeah. and it does start you off um, not at the Super Jedi that you were previously, but you don't have to continuously level up to unlock more Jedi powers that you previously had. Right. I like starting off yes. with that feeling. Yes. And you're getting more stuff yes. on top of it. Sequel done right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You add to what you already established. Yeah. You continue to build upon. You don't power reset. Um, you do, however, friend reset because none of your <laughs> companions from the last game are anywhere to be found. <laughs> right. Uh, but that does lead it to kind of story missions of, hey, what happened to this person? Yeah. Like I, that's currently where I'm at right now. Is hey, we haven't seen this person in a while. Let's go say hi and help. Maybe they'll help yeah. repair our ship. I just got a cutscene where I was like, oh, this is a conversation. Like this is where we left off this char these characters. Now we're eventually. I haven't got to that point where we're going to go check them out. That's the next. That's literally the next yeah. thing you're gonna do. Cool. Uh, but yeah, it's yeah. Okay, we're gonna start with all these mm -hmm. brand new characters. That's fine. Um, and we're going to like slowly reintroduce the people from the previous game. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of fun because it lead it will it lead to surprises of oh my god I'm being ambushed and all of a sudden <laughs> hey let me help you out here randomly. And it's like wait it's you from the previous game. <laughs> I like you from the previous game. <laughs> Welcome back. Yeah, it leads to those kind of fun surprises. Uh, there's a lot of stuff done right, but also, I don't know if you got any glitches yet. So, on the Xbox Series X, which is where I'm playing it, 
there's some screen tearing. Uh, I'm playing on performance mode. Okay. And I'm like, come on, screen tearing in a console game? It's a little ridiculous. Like, I can't turn on VSync. Yes. <laughs> like, it's a console game. Um, so, yeah, that's a little disappointing. But honestly, other than that, it's been running pretty smoothly. I have not run into that many technical issues. Uh, after I got to the um, first elevator, mm-hmm. the game crashed on me. Oh, no! I haven't even heard of that on the PS5 version. I've actually I mean, heard that the PS5 version is the best running version. But once I restarted it, I, I haven't gotten into any of those issues okay, yet. Good, good. Um, I have seen a lot of uh, frame rate drops. Sure. Uh, especially during that boss battle. Now, are you playing on performance mode as well? No, I'm playing on poly. That's why. Yeah. Okay, got it. Yeah. Because I don't have HDR for the TV. <laughs> so I don't need performance mode. Yeah, but I like the, I think it looks great in performance mode. So I couldn't imagine if I turned that to quality. Yeah. Like, like the Horizon, where it's like, it's already looks good. I don't need to turn on the, the right. frames mode. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Um, I really like how this game feels. I think moment to moment, moving around mm-hmm. as Cal feels good. He feels like he's skating everywhere, but in a good way. I love the swinging. I love the climbing. Like he feels like Mario. Like it feels like a Mario platformer or something in a, in a good, like in a in a good feeling way, where he's just so agile and he can do everything you want him to do. There's one thing that they do on this game that they didn't do in the previous game. Everything with the map. Mm-hmm. Not only can you open up the map and get the good 3D space to move around, yeah. Bit, but it also shows you yes. your routing of where you've been. Yes, that's cool. <laughs> so you can see, like, oh, okay, so I've already gone through this area. And I see my trajectory through here and up to here. Yeah. I know I can backtrack here, or oh, I can do this over here now. There's even a, a Metroid style like color coordination on the doors. Yes. It's like, oh, have I been in this door? Is it locked? Like that kind of thing, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I love how it's like a combination almost like a little dash of souls, a little dash of Metroid, but like 80% Star Wars. And yes. it's just, it's really cool. Like it's just the vibe of it. The only thing that's not quite clicking for me is the st- a lot of the story stuff. I'm not that big of a Star Wars guy, so I think that if I was more of a Star Wars person, I'd get more of that kind of drama. But like for me, I'm like, eh, it's fine. It's getting me from point A to point B. Oh, you haven't really gotten into the story yet. Right. You could either you're just okay, General Senator at Coruscant. Right. And I like the combat for the most part. I really had a, a come to Jesus moment in that boss fight where yes. I was like. I think with the stormtroopers, it's very easy just to kind of hack away mm-hmm. and just not really think about the parry system or the dodging. I got beat up real bad the first round of that boss fight because I suddenly realized, oh, I can't just go in and Are you playing do my on thing. standard Jedi mode? So, no, I'm playing on the one in between story mm-hmm. and Jedi. medium. Okay. Uh, because Padawan. I was like, yeah, yeah, I had a one, I think. And even that is kind of kicking my ass. And okay. I think it's because I need to slow down and play it like it's a. Souls game almost a lot more parrying, yes. And I need to focus on the parrying and just get better at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, it's pretty generous on that paddling mode, yes, which is the point with that parry timing. And so, I think I'll get there. It's just that that first initial fight, I was like, ah, what am I doing? And then I figured <laughs> it out and then I beat it. And it felt really good because I was like, oh, yeah, no, I overcame this. And like, it felt really like a nice moment. And if the combat goes in that direction, I'm, I'm ready for it. Also, Man, deflecting lasers is just always fun. Yes. Just just seeing it hit them. Uh, it's just great. It's just so much fun. Um, there's a lot of customization stuff that I've only just scratched the surface of. I just unlocked the workbench, and so I see that you can do like a billion lightsaber colors. Yes. There's going to be like stuff for like uh, facial hair, and, and yep. you can give them a mullet. 
Yep. Like, it just seems like there's a lot of cool options. That's the thing with uh, the first game, too, is that yeah. everything in those chests in the world are all customized options. Yeah. So if you wanted to, you could completely ignore them. You're right. If you don't yeah. care about the customization. I've seen that take, too, where a lot of people are like, I just don't care about this stuff. I, I'm never going to touch my like favorite color. It's like, well, yeah, that's fine. But there's going to be people who definitely want to. Well, no, no, I don't want to like continuously upgrade and mm-hmm. like change everything, but I like where how to look right now. <laughs> but I still do scratch that itch of yeah. it's a box. Go open said box. Yeah, I'm very interested to get to this next planet because I understand that it kind of goes from a linear game into an open world. It does. Um, yes, I got to that point where yeah. it does feel more open world, and I'm I'm excited to see how this kind of game works in an open world setting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I really am enjoying my time with it so far. I think they've really focused in on the fun parts of a game like this. And, it, yeah, it's almost like kind of the thing that Redfall doesn't do, Jedi Survivor does. Okay. Where it figured it out and then also went that extra mile to be like that extra step where it's like, yeah, but what would be fun to do? Mm-hmm. And it does that. It's also helpful that it doesn't start you off with the power reset, mm-hmm. that it gives you force push, force pull, which yeah. you had to learn in the first game. Yeah. I thought it was annoying that you had to do that, right. but... You immediately get that power, that yes. feeling of, yes, I am a Jedi, and I, do, I can do Jedi shit. Yes. And it's always fun to force push somebody off of a ledge. Yes, it was also fun to um, <laughs> mind, mind trick someone into fighting for you. Another thing I want to point out, uh, just the last thing I want to say about it, is I think that the some of the... The first thing it does which I think a lot of games now are starting to do, is it throws you right into the accessibility menu. Mm-hmm. And I immediately was like, oh, there's a thing that can help me navigate. I turned that on immediately. Yep. Because I am awful at navigating in video games. I'm awful at navigating in real life, too. I often don't know <laughs> where I'm going. And so I just immediately turned that on. And I've already noticed, oh, the camera is kind of doing this. Point after, trap, point after something and being like, you want to go this way? I'm like, thank you, game. And also... In normal mode, it will it will say like, "Oh, look around this room to find something." But since I turned that on, now it's just like, icon just pops up like the thing you're looking for is over here. I'm yes, like, awesome! I can just go to it because for me, that's gonna save so much time and frustration. Yeah, for me, it's when uh, BD one tops off your your back and just yeah runs over like, "Hey, come yeah. over here!" Yeah, I, I, need, I need to scan this thing. Thank you, robot. <laughs> like you're so good at this. Yeah, oh, what a cute robot too. He's yes, so good. what a good robot. Um, yeah. I can't wait to play more of this. I'm going to play more of it. It sucks because, uh, yeah, so I ended up returning Resident Evil 4 so that way I could have a space open for uh, Tears of the Kingdom. But, yes. uh, but yeah, uh, I'm going to play more of this for sure. This okay. is good. Yes. So uh, look forward to more of us talking about Star Wars Jedi colon Survivor yeah. as we continue to play it and stream it. I, I'll let you uh, stream some of this. I'll, I think, I'll probably stream it on Sunday. Yeah, I'm probably I'll definitely have time on Sunday. Probably done streaming that one. I streamed it for Star Wars Day. If you want to see that on, mm-hmm. that should be still sitting on the archive on twitch.tv slash yep. All right. Lastly, just real quick, I wanted to say, so Apple Arcade did a refresh uh, this last week where they put in 20 new games. Okay. Uh, among them, several Disney games. And one of them I want to talk about because it's a return of an old friend. Hey, remember Words with Friends? Yes. Scrabble. What, what if Words with Friends with Disney? But Scrabble. I know, yeah. What if they did that, but with Disney characters? Well, what do you mean with Disney characters? Because you can, it's Scrabble, so it's yeah. it's words with friends. You can put any word you want down. Well, 
what they did was they made everything around the game of Scrabble or Words with Friends Disney. Okay. So that's called Disney Spellstruck, and it's out now on Apple Arcade. Solely on Apple Arcade. I tried uh, to look this up for yeah for now. Not on Android, I don't think. Not yet. on Android yet. They said it would be released later later date. But yeah, it's very similar to Words with Friends, except that they have an adventure mode, story mode, basically for single player. Okay. Um, and it is Disney themed. You are unlocking new Disney characters. The one twist on the format, though, is that the Disney characters have powers that they can execute. You have like a super move that you mm-hmm. can execute during your game of Scrabble. So far, the ones that I've seen so far are just. Uh, Mickey adds um, letter score multipliers, tiles to the okay. tile. So it'll just be more than usual. So you'll like have more of those once that's activated. And you activate it by playing your tiles on certain highlighted tiles on the, on on the, the board. Okay. So it adds a little bit more strategy where you're not only just trying to make the best words you can, you also are incentivized to get that power activated. To okay. help you down the line. Yes, but you don't want the other person to activate it. Exactly. Because... So you want it to prevent them. Yes. From... So yeah, it's an extra level of strategy. Um, so yeah, there's the main, there's this adventure mode where you're going from like these Disney-themed islands trying to unlock new characters and beat like boss characters. Then there's also the traditional play a friend. Uh, Christine and I started a, a, a game this morning where we're playing against each other. And that's just, we're just friends, but with that added, added strategy layer, thanks to the powers. Okay. That's pretty much it. So, yeah, if you want to play Words with Friends again and you like Disney characters, it's kind of a no-brainer if you have iOS. Uh, check it out. Now, is it are the powers strictly for adding to the board, or can you, like, so, change your letters or yeah. add certain, exchange tiles? That's a good question. So far, I've only encountered powers that add new tiles. I don't know if there's powers that, like, make it easier to swap or, like, give you more uh, blank tiles or something like that. Mm-hmm. There very well could be. Um, I don't know. I haven't unlocked that. It okay. Seems like there's a lot of characters to unlock. Okay. Uh, interesting. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, I hate that the review that I saw kept referring to it as a crossword game. It's not a crossword game. Yes. Well, it's Scrabble. I mean, Scrabble is kind of a crossword game, but it's not. Cross- yeah. You're not solving a crossword. Right, which is what I thought yeah. it was. Solving crossword like crossword, and it says creative words with friends. Like, yeah. you're two different things. It's words with you, friends. You don't know what you're talking about here. Yeah. Alright, let's move on. Any other games we need to talk about? Uh, no. I don't okay. think so. No. Alright. Cool, let's move on then into television, our next section here. And we always start the TV section with Sports Corner. First up, we have our Mr. Irrelevant for the year 2023. Yeah, we do. And that was Dejuan Johnson. Defensive end, uh, Mr. Irrelevant 2023, yep. to the Rams. Hey, these days, we've been. it's been proven that even if you're Mr. Irrelevant, you might have a decent career later. Yes, and that uh, actually goes into one of my points that I want to talk about uh, from the draft. One <laughs> yeah. of my takeaways from the draft this past uh, week, lots of quarterbacks taken in that Saturday draft mm-hmm. um, from the uh, fourth, fifth, and sixth rounds. Yeah. Lots of quarterbacks, lots of the Hail Marys. Hey, let's try and find the next Brock Purdy in, with our final picks here. It's really opened up the depth of the draft where people are like, oh, it doesn't, you don't need all your first round quarterbacks. You can actually draft them lower, further down and still have success down the road. Yes. Yeah. It's instead of like <laughs> stacking up on defensive ends or linemen, yeah. uh, where that position is going to be more injured. So you kind of want depth there. They're trying to stack on skill positions, hoping they hit their million dollar lottery ticket with yeah. those late round picks. 
Uh, but congratulations to everyone who was drafted and to everyone who wasn't drafted and continues to have that chip on their shoulder <laughs> and plays for their best abilities. And hey, who knows? Even you could be the next Austin Eckler. You. Pointing, pointing yes, into the camera. Pointing at you, who, <laughs> Austin Eckler, who wasn't drafted. And I laugh every time and remember that. Damn. Damn. As you run over me in fantasy because I will never draft you. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile. But, I mean, I won't draft you out of like spite. It's just because there's right. always other facts I'd rather have than you. Yeah. Well, we got a while to see any of those players play. But yes. for now, the hockey players are still playing because we have. Some, some of them are still playing. Yeah, some, some um, action in the NHL playoffs where your two number one seeds have both lost their game sevens and are eliminated. So you remember last week how I said both number ones were yeah. going into game sevens? Well, Oh, for two. So, yes, your pick to win the whole thing, the Bruins are out. Yes. And the Avalanche have also been eliminated. So, congratulations to the Boston Bruins for not only setting your wins record Mm -hmm. and the points record, you also got eliminated in the first round. Yep. Hate to see it. I mean, love to hate to see it. Yeah. Sucks for Beantown. (laughs) Meanwhile, in basketball... You have a winner for your regular season MVP award, yep. Joel Embiid. Of the 76ers, he gave a very cheerful speech in which his kid also ran up and like hugged him while he was giving a speech. So uh, that's on YouTube if you want to see yeah. that and get some manly man tears flowing. But uh, they are still in it mm-hmm. for now. For now. Uh, I think they're actually going up against the other Boston team, the Celtics right now Yeah, uh, in the NBA. And meanwhile, you have the California battle. Um, yes, starting to a brew. Yes, the Lakers versus the Golden West, Golden State Warriors. <laughs> Golden West, Golden State Warriors. Yes, yes. So, so we'll see. Um, we'll see how that pans out. Well, you we also have the Suns versus the Rockets. No, Utah. That's right, Denver. Denver. Yeah. D- Denver. Uh, Denver Nuggets playing uh, Chris Paul and the Phoenix Suns. Delicious. I love Nuggets. All right, let's move on. As you mentioned, the XFL continues. We have the Arlington Renegades, who are 5-6, and six, versus the DC Defenders, ten to, who are 10-1 and one for the championship game. How the hell did that happen? Yes, you might be wondering, how the <laughs> hell is a losing team, a team with a losing record, right. in a championship game? That's because they beat the uh, number one team last week in the semifinals. Uh, that makes uh, sense. So, funny enough, the Arlington Renegades have themselves and former NFL quarterback in uh, Brock Perez, mm-hmm. who, former quarterback for the LA Rams, yeah. uh, going against the DC Defenders, uh, who have quarterback Ben DiNucci, former quarterback. For the Dallas Cowboys. Hey. <laughs> so two uh, former NFL quarterbacks going up against each other in the championship game. That happens to, as of this recording, Saturday. Uh, so we will have our champion next. Uh, well, we will announce the champion next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, there is a possibility that a team could go six and six <laughs> in the in, in the XFL and win <laughs> and win the be the champions. Wow, incredible. So look chaos. to that. Yeah, Utter that chaos. Total chaos. It's just the way The Rock wanted it. Yep. <laughs> Hollywood ending. Right. They handed out the scripts to everyone this morning. Speaking of Hollywood ending, we had quite a game in the MLB. We had the Padres versus Giants in Mexico City. Oh, wow. wow. 16 to 11 game. That's a football score. That's a football score. <laughs> I love 
love to say that's a football score, but in this case, it really is. Well, not really. 11 is not a very common football score, but it can happen. It can happen. Uh, but yeah, so that was wild. Even wilder are our current standings in the league. Um, where Tampa Bay Rays and Baltimore Orioles are big success stories right now. They're both under 10 losses each. And then at the way other side of the pack, you have the Oakland A's with only six wins. Two of those appear against the Angels for, you know, for whatever reason. And then the Kansas City Royals with eight wins to their name. And two of those against the uh, San Francisco Giants. Yeah. I know I'm jinxing this saying it, but hey, the Angels are on a five-game win streak right now. Yes, and now you jinxed it. So you can <laughs> see the schedule here. I know. Hey. <laughs> we're, 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 Houston is coming into town. Houston's not as good as they used to be, though. So I have some feeling. Hey, but they were good once as they ever was. <laughs> I'm just saying that the Rangers are better than Houston right now. Think about it that way and how weird that is to say. <laughs> we beat the Rangers last week, last night. With a, with a wild pitch, but still. <laughs> still, we came back for a four-run four deficit. Nine, I'll uh, take it. Ninth inning yeah. uh, rally. I'll take it. So, yeah, it's chaos in the Major League Baseball scene right now. Uh, but, hey, hopefully this will all shake out and make more sense in, in the yes. coming weeks. Hopefully, uh, once the Angels play the uh, Marlins at the end of May, yes. that um, they'll be way ahead in the division. And I will be there for the end of that season. Uh, Christy and I are going on the 28th for Beach Weekend. Yes. So, is that the same Connect jerseys? I hope so. <laughs> it would be weird if it wasn't, yes. is what I would say. So I'm very excited. Uh, so, that. yes, uh, get excited because baseball and the summer of baseball is coming. And appreciation tickets, too. So $15 Ooh. for $400. Um, otherwise, NBA and NHL yep. playoffs continue. Yep. And XFL. And mm-hmm. if you're so inclined, USFL. Yeah, if, you, if you'd like that kind of thing. We'll continue. Cool. Anything else in sports before we move on? Uh, in sports entertainment, it is Backlash Weekend. Oh. So they are in, <laughs> not Mexico, Puerto Rico, I think? Okay. They're international. Sure. Um, this For for this round. Uh, I mentioned that because Bad Booney will yeah. be one of the headliners. Mm-hmm. Yes, wrestler Bad Booney. Yeah. Not to be confused with singer Bad Booney. No, yeah, the same guy, but different size. Yes. <laughs> All right. All right. Move on. Our okay. big, of course, thing well, hold we have on, to hold talk on. about. I got to yeah, stretch. stretch out. I got to warm up. Because it's time to talk about the biggest news in media right now, which, of course, is the WGA writer's strike. All right. So, so now, two... now that we're loosened up, we're yeah. going to go out there and um, strike with them, yeah, right? Join those picket lines. Um, you can if you'd like. Uh, but, yeah, so we're going to split this into two stories here. The first story will be establishing what's going on and then its immediate impact. So first up, Yes. The Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, the AMPTP, announced Monday evening that negotiations with the Writers Guild of America concluded without an agreement, which meant less than one hour later, the WGA released a letter to members that they would be going on strike. They had voted in favor of the strike weeks before. We had talked about that. We had covered it. It was a 98% vote for the strike. So the AMPTP has stated that it is willing to improve on its offer, but was not willing to meet some of the union's demands. The last strike that started in November 2007 stretched 100 days into February of 2008. The Writers Guild put out a summary of the two sides' bargaining positions in which it says the union's proposals would gain writers as a group about $429 million per year. AMPTP's offer is about only $86 million. 
A main sticking point is defining the cost of streaming. Many streaming shows have much shorter seasons, perhaps eight to 10 episodes, rather than more than 20 with traditional TV shows. Many shows also employ fewer writers than were on staff in the past. All of that means less opportunities for writers to work and earn money. In addition, there's a big dispute on how writers are paid. Writers have traditionally gotten residuals when a show they wrote is sold to run again in syndication or on basic cable, but they're unlikely to get residuals, if any at all, when they create original content for streaming services as the current contracts stand today. And it all revolves around two simple mm-hmm. words. New media. Yes. Does streaming, as it stands right now, count as new media? Because that's the way it was written back in 2007 Yeah. when streaming just mainly included Netflix. So yeah, the 2007 the hinged on, you're releasing our clips on YouTube. Yes. And stuff like that, because that was what was relevant at the time. Like, are we getting paid for those kind of things? And the answer was no, because they define it as right. new media. Right. But now new media has become standard media with right. all these streaming services. Yeah, so the argument... The, uh, how do you get paid? The writers, it makes sense what the writers are saying. If most people are watching their shows on streaming services, it seems stupid that, that there's not some way for them to benefit from that. Because mm-hmm. if it was built that they would benefit from replays on television, why is it different? Like, what is different about this? So the thing I want to talk about real briefly here, because I know we're going long, yes. um, is that um, is that if the studios don't seem like they are really, they don't see this as a problem as much as you'd want them to in order to get this agreement moving. It seems like all the statements that I've seen coming out of studios, I think one specifically from uh, Paramount was really uh, disheartening, which was like, we are not worried about when asked basically if this strike will impact their content pipeline. They said, we're not worried about it impacting our content at all, is basically what they said. Mm -hmm. The writing's on the wall. They don't care. They are willing to put the writers in this situation for as long as possible because they already have enough unscripted, non-union content that they can just pump it out forever. They don't believe that the that the audience, people like us, will notice. Oh, but we noticed. But we notice. Yes. But I think, for example, your uncle who watches... I'm not saying your uncle specifically, but I'm saying <laughs> like, so-and-so's uncle who watches Yellowstone like in like three other shows, like CSI... Like, they're not going to notice, is mm-hmm. basically what Paramount thinks. And it's going to take, I think, for the general public to notice that a slump in quality or, like, a decline or effect at all for this to actually uh, make a difference. Which goes into our second story here. There is an immediate impact that we're already seeing. So, yes, just like in 2007, certain things will be affected by this, including award shows. And it just so happens that we have our first demo of this happening very soon, Sunday night, tomorrow night. The MTV Movie and TV Awards, recently expanded into television, I should notice, um, now has a massive gap in its scheduled programming. Drew Barrymore is stepping down as a host of the show in support and solidarity to the writer's strike. Sunday night's MTV Awards will still continue, but now will go hostless. The state of the show is still evolving day by day as producers pivot to their strike contingency plan and wait to see who among their presenters, nominees, and guests are still willing and able to appear on the telecast. Also, they mentioned that there will be a strike. There will be a picket line outside the show. Yes. I noticed that um, late last night and this morning, 
when they were still running ads for the MTV Movie and TV Awards, mm-hmm. Drew Barrymore no longer on those ads. No, they pulled her <laughs> they completely. Pulled them com- yes, pulled completely. Yeah. So the other thing that we've noticed, another nod to the evolving news, there will no longer be any red carpet or talent interviews before that show. Mm-hmm. And elsewhere in live television, you might notice, hey, what about Saturday Night Live? Aren't they in the middle of season? Yes. So yes, former cast member Pete Davidson was scheduled to host SNL on May 6th. Tonight. With, today, with musical guest Lil Uzi Vert. NBC has canceled that episode due to the strike and has shut down that whole industry. The late night show stuff mm-hmm. all pulled. The end of the season is supposed to see Kieran Culkin with Labyrinth and Jennifer Coolidge with Foo Fighters for the following two weeks. But they will not go forward if the strike continues through those weeks. Traditionally, SNL just shut down. In 2007, they just ran out, ran um, replays, ran, ran uh, yeah, repeats for yes. the duration of the strike. Yep. Uh, elsewhere for NBC, Jimmy Fallon and Seth Meyers do intend to pay their staffers of the networks tonight and late night shows three weeks of wages while the programs are sidelined due to the writer strike. This is similar to what Conan did back in 2007 for during that strike. Mm-hmm. He basically just paid for all his writers, and that's because Jimmy Fallon yeah. and Seth Meyers were writers. Mm-hmm. Uh, for SNL yes. before they became cast members, before they became right. um, the faces. So, of, of course, they're going to have solidarity. Yes. NBC plans to pay two weeks of salary to staffers, while each late-night host will pay a third week out of their late-night programs. I've also gone dark. Uh, wait, that sentence didn't make sense. I skipped a line. Yes. Their own pockets and health care for the show's employees will be paid through September. Other late-night programs have also gone dark, including CBS's Late Show with Stephen Colbert, ABC's Jimmy Kimmel Live, and Comedy Central's The Daily Show, which, I mean, they're in between hosts anyways. Yes. HBO's Real Time with Bill Maher and Last Week Tonight also have stopped producing original programs during the strike. So, yeah, we will see immediately live stuff, stuff that's in production right now. I also just read this morning, season three of Hacks at HBO has stopped filming. Mm -hmm. They completely stopped due to this. So, yeah, you'll see more of those stories coming out. You'll see the network's try to pivot as quickly as possible to reality television. Yep. There's a lot of stuff, um, not just with TV, but with films as well, that have stopped production, not just here in the U.S., mm-hmm. but also in the U.K. in solidarity for yeah. it as well. So, yeah, we're only at the beginning. We're only scratching the surface of how long this is going to go. And, yeah, I really, really hope the studios realize what they've done uh, because it's going to be very quick that we're going to notice change. Mm-hmm. And I just really hope that fictional Yellowstone-watching uh, uncle I, I made up um, also notices because it's going to take the mainstream to be freaking out in order for the studios to realize that the writers actually matter. Not just that, but with the case of Yellowstone, um, if the studios are not willing to pay for their writers, you could see seasons and TV series series just end. Yeah. Like the case of Yellowstone, which did officially get canceled after the upcoming fifth season, which has already been written, already been shot. Yeah. So, I mean, we've already lived through this with 2007, 2008, and the endless game shows that came from it, (laughs) endless live live streaming, like reality TV that came from it. Yeah, but, um, you know, there's not necessarily a negative to that. There's like a a mixed bag, and I think we're going to see a mixed bag here as well. All right, let's move on. Uh, in for for time's sake, uh, we'll talk about more about the writer strike going on, especially sure in the coming weeks story. if it continue when it continues. It's not an if; it's a when. Yeah. You saw that number. All right, so you watched the new season of Star Wars Visions. Yes. Oh, because it was Star Wars Day. Happy Star Wars Day. Yeah. Um, and so a couple of new Star Wars stuff was released. 
one of them being the second season of Star Wars Visions. This is the uh, animated shorts based in Star Wars, but have different artistic styles with them. And I love this season more than I love the first season. I think this season focused more on the animation, while the uh, while the first season focused more on the story elements and making sure that you understood that this was a Star Wars story mm. just told with different animation, whereas this one was focused solely on the animation. You get a lot of that animation from uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse inspired. Uh, you get an Arben inspired one, which I thought was hilarious. You yeah. get a... Um, uh, Coraline and a Kubo and the Two Strings oh, kind okay. of inspired one as well. Uh, you also get a completely one complete rendered in uh, the uh, what is it? Uh, okay, why am I blanking on it? Um, Unreal Engine 5 uh, and all those light and particle effects and it was amazing to see. They focus a lot on the artistic styling for season 2 compared to season 1 but they also didn't miss a beat with the story structure. <laughs> I really like season two a lot more than season one. A couple of my favorites are the first one they did, the first episode uh, titled Sith, where it was very colorful. It was in that style of um, Into the Spider-Verse. Lots of color, lots of um, white going into black, lots of just forging your own path and basically become ultimately becoming the Grey Jedi without full-on saying Grey Jedi. <laughs> uh, there's also, I really liked the one in Arvin, which featured zero Jedis, but was an ode to both pod racing and family. <laughs> so it was a little bit like, oh, this is like uh, Fast and Furious, but in Star Wars. That's hilarious. That's but in the Arvin style. Uh, so like, everyone had like, the big smiles, the big teeth. I was like, <laughs> that's hilarious. Nice. <laughs> it's great. Uh, it's very great to see. Um... And just overall, uh, I mean, you do get like your traditional ones that look like um, Akira, uh, Attack on Titan as well. Uh, One really looked like um, My Hero Academia Mm -hmm. uh, because it was part of like the Jedi school. I was like, oh, that's really cool (laughs) Uh, seeing it in this kind of art style. But it's very fun to and like fun to see that Star Wars breaks all boundaries. It's for everyone. And I think we've established that even last time when we talked about Star Wars patients that the the themes and the styles of Star Wars can be translated into any type of medium. And I really want them to continue doing these uh, Star Wars visions, especially with the different studios and the multitude of animation studios that are out there. Okay, cool. Yeah, I always I love that they're doing this because it's like really cool to see different interpretations of that universe because there's a huge amount of stuff that you have that mm-hmm. you can use in the Star Wars world. Yeah, and not all of it is strictly like it has to be mm-hmm. Jedi, has to be Sith right. related. No, so much more. There's so much more that they do, and I'm glad that they like touch on it here in Visions, where mm-hmm. not everything is about Coruscant or Tatooine. There's more to the Star Wars <laughs> or Kashyyyk. There's more to the <laughs> Star Wars universe out there, right. and having Star Wars Visions outside of Dave Filoni, mm-hmm. allow to um, be able to do this and see that um, that kind of inspiration grow. Yeah, very cool. All right, anything else on TV that you need to talk about? Uh, nothing else new that I watched. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I did watch uh, the Peter Pan and Wendy on Disney+. Plus. Oh, jeez, okay. 
uh, I mean, I don't know if I talk about the movies or TV because it's Disney Plus, but right. uh, I'll just give my really quick brief thoughts on it. The color palette is bland, and <laughs> it feels like they were stuck in a box. Yeah. So it, it goes with Disney copyright of you of these stories that Disney like has copyright for these yeah. like fairy tales. You can use them in whatever it's that you right. want. Like we see that with Pinocchio, yeah. public domain. They're public domain to a certain extent. They're public domain, but the Disney owns the Disney version. Yes. Yeah. So they can what, only do the Disney version. Yes. So that's the thing. Yeah. They can only do the Disney version, meaning right. that in this live action version, even like in the credits, it says inspired, like created by right. the original novel and, and. the nineteen sixty eight version. Uh, <laughs> it was like okay. So the film has to be specific enough to mimic the original the original animated version, both in terms of like style, beats, and costuming. Fifty-eight? Fifty-eight? Sixty-eight? I think it's a fifties film. Okay, fifty-eight. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> it has to be specific enough and contained within its own box. The, the Disney corporate box that it never allows itself to be unique in any substance. Yeah, it's like it. There it's are what they got to do, I guess. It's, it's what they got to do in order to retain the IP. Because if you use any, like, if you try and like break out of that Disney box, all of a sudden it's no longer a Disney IP because they can't recopyright it because mm-hmm. they've already established it based on the cartoon. Is it really just like a thing so they can renew that? It has to be. <laughs> it must be. It's so dumb. But whatever. Anyway, um, I just want to really briefly mention uh, uh, season three of Abbott Elementary wrapped up. Okay. Or season two? Season two, two, two. sorry. Yeah, so that's all, all taken care of. They actually did something with the will they, won't they by the end of that season. Although what they, what they do with it next season remains to be seen. So yeah, um, interesting stuff that they've done with this season. But a pretty strong season overall. Okay. All right. Let's move on. Uh, cancellations and renewals. You don't have it written down, but you can scroll through here. Yes. Sorry, Johnson. Uh, canceled. Or no, yeah. I renewed. Oh, yes. For a third season. So I'm back. Yep. So I don't know bounce. what bounces. I don't know. The Morning Show, meanwhile, has been renewed on Apple TV Plus, has been renewed for a fourth season ahead of its season five or season three return this fall. Bosch Legacy, everyone's uncle's favorite show, and Amazon Freebie renewed for a third season ahead of its season two return. Then we have The Diplomat, renewed for a second season on Netflix. 911 and 911 Lone Star, except different fates for them. Yes. 911 proper, canceled by Fox after six seasons. But the show will move for AB- to ABC for next year's seventh season. Yes. Then 911 Lone Star, renewed for, on Fox for a fifth season. So will that mean you will see... A Lone Star and nine one one being on just, two different just, networks. Yes, that's wild. This, I wonder. No, I'll say you could get a nine one one and the Good Doctor crossover. <laughs> yeah, but there are two different cities. That but, wouldn't work. No. no, you could though. Like, Good Doctor could visit L.A. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not gonna happen. All right, and we also have. Dancing with the Stars at, uh, has been renewed for a 32nd uh, season, but will move to back to ABC after spending a year on Disney Plus as a streaming. Producer. I guess the streaming plus did not <laughs> work, work out. Or ABC, in the midst of the writer's strike, wanted it back. Probably. Like, no, we too. need that now. Well, it did happen on 5-2, so yes, probably that. Yeah. 
We also have the third and last season for Sweet Tooth on Netflix. The third season has already been filmed. Please note that is not Sweet Tooth of Metal Gear fame. That is no, Sweet uh, Tooth uh, of the twist, Antlers. Twisted Metal, not Metal Gear. Yeah, Twisted Metal. <laughs> and then, hey, I mentioned it earlier, Yellowstone will end with its current fifth season, which is currently on a mid-season hiatus. Uh, yeah. And yep. a new spinoff series is to come. Uh, yeah, they're looking at Matthew McConaughey for that new series. Yeah. And then lastly, Call Me Cat. You know, the Mayambiolic sitcom. Cancelled on Fox after three seasons. Well, you know, she has the other sitcom, Jeopardy, that she's working on right now. You see that they're going to do a, a Celebrity Wheel of Fortune with Mayambiolic, Ken Jennings, and, get this, Vanna White playing Wheel of Fortune. Really? Yes, they're all going to play against each other. <laughs> I don't know who's going to touch the, the, the letters when she's in the seat, but I don't know. Watson. Uh, uh, uh it's just going to be Pat Sajak no, no, no. running back and forth. No, it's Pat Sajak's daughter because she's been doing all You're of the right. interstitials. You're totally right. It is going to be Pat Sajak's daughter. I should have seen that coming. All right. That's it for cancellations and renewals. Let's run through movies real quick. Yes. Your number one movie this weekend at the box office was still the Super Mario Brothers movie with another $40 million. I feel like I'm saying that every week now. That's at. Four hundred ninety million domestic. That will pass a billion dollars. As of yesterday, yes. it crossed yes. five hundred million domestically, right. and we'll talk about that in a little bit here. Yes, we'll get there. Um, number two, Evil Dead Rise with twelve million dollars. That's at forty-four. Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. And number three, with six point seven million dollar debut. Number four, Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi and its return to theaters as special event. Yes. Uh, five million dollars. Yes, that was a thirty. 40th? Yeah, 40th, 40th anniversary. anniversary special. Um, and it made $5 million. Yeah, not bad. Yeah. And then uh, John Wick Chapter 4 is number 5 with $4.8 million. That's at 176. The other big premieres, Sisu, way down at number 10 with $3.3 million. Number 11, Big George Foreman, The Miraculous Story of the Once and Future Heavyweight Championship, Champion of the World. Yeah. $2.9 million debut. No yes. one wanted to see Big George Foreman. Or his miraculous story of him being the once and future heavyweight champion of yes. the world. Yeah, all of that. And the assassination of Jesse James by the coward. Anyway, yes. upcoming <laughs> this week, we have a couple of things for two different audiences. We have Book Club, the next chapter, which is the sequel to Book Club. You want to see old ladies with a book club? Go yes. see this movie. And then number and then also Rally Road Racers. I wonder uh, what that movie is about. Uh, it's an animated for your kids about <laughs> road racers. This is still scheduled to come out, even though I have seen zero <laughs> commercials about it. it. Yeah. Next week, of course, everything gets out of the way for Fast Ten. But until then, yes, that is on the nineteenth. Yes. That is your Mother's Day release. Right. All right. Let's move on into some movie news, as you hinted at. Speaking of Super Mario Brothers movie and it crossing the yes. 500 million domestic mark. It didn't only do that. It is also the officially first film of the year to cross the $1 billion global box office number. As of Sunday, after 26 days of release, the animated video game adaptation has grossed $490 million in North America and $532 million internationally. It's only the fifth movie of pandemic times to join the $1 billion club following Spider-Man No Way Home, Top Gun Maverick, Jurassic World Dominion, and Avatar The Way of Water. And it is the first Illumination and Universal animated title to ever jump $500, $500 million domestically, not adjusted for inflation. 
That is saying that Mario was more successful in its first 26 days than Minions. No, that's saying it's more successful in the entire run, yeah. run of Domestic Minions, run of Minions, of Despicable Me, of yeah. Secret Life of Pets. Wild. Of in 26 any, days. Of, of any of the Dr. Yeah. Seuss things that they've done. Right, in 26 days. It is also now the second highest grossing animated film of all time domestically. Only below Frozen 2, I believe? Yes. Yes. So there you go. Um, big, big success. Uh, there will be more. What? Yeah. No! Who could have seen that coming? Oh, so the plan was, I was supposed to see this. Christy and I were going to go. Uh, we ended up uh, taking too much time getting ready, and we missed the showing. Did you buy tickets? No, I did not buy tickets until that was the. Oh yeah, that was the other thing. Is when I finally was ready to buy tickets, there was the only front row was left. They were sold out. And I wonder like, why. Screwed. Where did those forty million dollars yeah. come from? <laughs> See people still seeing it. Turns out. All right, let's move on to our second story. In the wake of the release of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, which we will talk about, people are wondering about the future of the Guardians of the Galaxy franchise. Well, the future remains uncertain, as some key players are notably leaving the franchise. As previously reported, Dave Bautista will be stepping away from the role of Drax in any future installments. Also, Zoe Saldana has recently stated that she has no future plans to return to her role as well. While Bradley Cooper and Vin Diesel have not said anything about their future, their characters are fully CG animated. So no one would think that they could potentially reprise their role, or they could think. Um, that they could reprise their roles as rocket anchors in future projects. Mm-hmm. They gone on. They have gone. Uh, they both have already lent their voices to the I Am Group shorts for Disney Plus. So there's yep. evidence of that. Lastly, Chris Pratt has gone on record saying he does not plan on doing another Guardians film without director James Gunn at the helm. That doesn't rule out any future supporting roles like he has done with Avengers films or Thor, as those were directed by the Russo brothers and Taika Waititi, respectively. So, so ultimately, this does feel like the end of Guardians of the Galaxy yeah. as we know it. Seems like that's the way that they've promoted it. It seems like that's the way the movie is written. Mm-hmm. It is a send-off for these characters in this current state. Yes. Uh, so, yeah. as we so say goodbye to it, yeah. well, let's talk about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Yeah. And I saw the Thursday showing for it um, with the audience, like, all freshly... <laughs> hotly anticipating the end of what would happen to our beloved characters. Yeah. And credits rolled, and no one clapped. Which was both kind of shocking and refreshing, because I'm glad that we're kind of out of the, uh, and everybody clapped. I can't hear you. (laughs) Yes. Uh, But I did like Volume 3 a lot more than I liked Volume 2. Yeah. I will say that Volume 2 had more of a through thread through its uh, beat to beat in terms of like talking about like fathers and like dads and like how your dad's not your father or <laughs> or the person who raised you is not necessarily or the person who was born you is not necessarily the person who's raised you like a fan found family, a found family. Message, yes. yes um there's more of through line through that through volume in volume two mm-hmm. which had more cohesive story but i did think some of the points in volume two were a bit more loosely touched on instead of like a straight run through right uh, which was the case with uh, the first one, which was straight run through action adventure comedy of we we're a band of misfits and we're going we need to come together in order to defeat Big Bad, right? The Pharaoh, Re- Ro- Ramsey, Romanov, whatever. Uh, who knows? 
<laughs> so volume three um, takes us at the end of both Endgame and uh, Thor Love and Thunder, where the Guardians are without Gamora, and Peter Quill is still heartbroken over it after all these years. Oh, yeah. Uh, so much so that it leaves him into a drunken stupor state where he's just angry at the world because basically everything has gone wrong with him. Mm-hmm. Like, he's been abducted, he's been stabbed, he's died, he's come back, he's lost. He's been in love, lost in love. <laughs> Nothing ever seems... Like, anytime he gets something good in his life, something immediately bad always happens. It's always followed mm-hmm. by it. Yeah. So he thinks, like, he's pretty much, like, doomed for this kind of lifestyle. So when he has the opportunity to save one of his best friends, um, then the story actually gets going. And it goes going in terms of taking one of the best characters in the series out of play. Oh. It kind of does the Superman thing. Okay. Where in both Guardians of the Galaxy films, and even in the Avengers films, we see Rocket, Racco- uh, Rocket Raccoon um, helping Tony Stark build his machine basically becoming the end-all, fix-all, like, I can fix everything. Mm-hmm. So, what happens if you take him out of the story? <laughs> right. Like, you can no longer fix things on your, on. you can no longer rely on him to fix them, you have to fix things on your own. And the chaos that ensues from it. But, let's also throw in old Gamora into the mix because she will constantly be fighting with your lead character uh, because uh, he, Star-Lord, Peter Quill, Chris Pratt, wants her to remember a life that she never had but is also keeps trying to force the life mm. that he used to have trying to rekindle that relationship even though it's not the same person it's not the same person right. and that person doesn't want it right well it's it throws in the will they won't they right right but at the same time as to the layers of if this person is completely denying your advances why are you still ignoring all the people who want your advances, all of your your family who, your found family who wants and needs your guidance, who wants and needs you to be around? Why are you still chasing after someone who's no longer interested in you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of extra layers in this film that I really like that they went into. Um, does it all play though on a consistent basis? I think that's where your mileage may vary. Yeah, because. At, when, it, when it hits, it hits, and it's good. But all the in-between moments do seem a little bit ebb and flow. Up, Some highs, lots of lows. Some highs, lots of lows. Um, I do like the music choices in here, especially when you start with the acoustic version of Creep. I mean, it wouldn't be Guardians of the Galaxy if they didn't get the needle drops right. Yes. Like, that's the thing. Yeah. But the thing about opening with that is that you don't really necessarily know who it's talking about. Is it talking about Peter Quill is talking about uh, Rocket, is talking about Gamora, is talking about um, any of the other Guardians, how they feel like they're, they have this found family, but they still feel outsiders to the rest of the world. Right. So, it does bring in, um, I need to start talking about the big bad here, <laughs> uh, the ultimate creator, um, who created Rocket Raccoon, how they have to go and like, save Rocket Raccoon from him. Mm-hmm. So you get a lot of backstory of Rocket without having actual Rocket being with having actual Rocket being incapacitated in real time, but at least you get that acting and that kind of like more backstory through the flashbacks. Right. Lots of this movie 
it runs quite long, but at the same time, runs pretty fast. Because by the time we got to like the uh, big ending, I was like, oh, wow, this feels like we're going to keep going forever. <laughs> but at the same time, I was like, wait, this has to be the ending now. Like, yeah. We get to like the big uh, climactic battle here. Do you feel like it was a good send-off for these characters? I feel like it was more of a send-off to the characters than it was helping to build the MCU. And that's good, right? Because I think that's why you see a lot of positive perception for this Yes. One. Because a lot of people's opinion about this phase has been like, all these seem like everybody's just spinning their wheels to set up the next thing. Yes. And this doesn't do that. No. It does do the thing at the end where it did it uh, at, the, at the end of Avengers Age of Ultron, where it's like, okay, the Avengers team that you know is no longer here, mm-hmm. but we have the new Avengers team. Same thing here. We no longer have the Guardians of the Galaxy that you know, but mm-hmm. we do have a new Guardians team. At the end of it, there's like, okay, we could do something with these characters maybe in the future. Yes. But like the setup, everything that you knew, yeah, has like been dismantled over time. And that goes in part with the story that we had right before this, where right. Dave Batista, Zoe Saldana, and even Chris Pratt, yeah. your three live action characters mm-hmm. are not signed on to reprise their roles. And also, even if that hadn't happened, you just got to stop at some point so it doesn't get stale. Yes. Because I think that you are at risk when you do like four or five of these kind of things, and it's the same thing every time. I'm glad that that James Gunn realized, of course, also he's going through a professional transition as well. Yes. But I feel like also on like a creative level, it's still the right move just to be like, we had this, this was a moment, we told our story and three movies were good. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's I respect that decision because that's rare in these franchise days where everything just goes on forever. Yeah, it's rare to see a finality mm-hmm. of these characters that you've come with the past nine, ten years plus. Yeah, yeah plus. 2014 uh, was the first Guardian. So Almost, it filmed yeah. before that. So yeah, they've been filming these for ten years, yeah. you know, same role, same capacity. And yeah, uh, to be able to say goodbye and know that they're going to be okay. Mm-hmm, yeah. It's like, yes, it, it may not be the ending that you want to see, but it does a good enough job, especially in this third film, to say they're all going to be okay. They're all yeah. going to move on. And maybe the paths will cross eventually. If they don't, mm-hmm. it was a moment in time and they had their adventures. Well, cool. I'm glad that they landed it. I'm glad that they... Uh... It ends on that kind of note, because I feel like anything less the fans would have not had. Yes. So, yeah. Congratulations, James. Kind of the finish. Put a period on that sentence. Yes. Put a period at the end of the volume. Oop. All right. Anything else movies to talk about? Uh, I don't really have nothing. I don't think so, no. All right. Then let's wrap up the show with a fan question. What? We oh, yeah. We talk, this... We're going to talk about this. I bet yes. Yeah, last week. We got this last week. We weren't able to do it, uh, but we can do it real quick here. Question comes in asking, what crazy thing in media history did you never think would happen, but it happened? A writer's strike. I'll never forget when PT, the playable teaser, came up on the PlayStation Store out of nowhere, and it ended up being a promotion for a new Silent Hill game produced by Hideo Kojima and starring Norman Reedus. Uh, Parentheses, that never came out. (laughs) In parentheses. But I'd like to hear what you guys thought were momentous occurrences in media history. Maybe your favorite band playing in a blockbuster movie. Maybe a remake of a game you thought was forgotten. I look forward to your answers. Uh, I think one of the more recent ones would be Blink-182 at Coachella. <laughs> yes, with, um, with uh, Tom DeLonge yeah, in tow. Yes. That was definitely a moment I could see. Yeah, yeah like, Especially since when they broke up in 2007, you figure 
That's it. They never came back oh, together, especially yeah. when they brought Matt Skiba to replace right. him for two albums. Yeah. You never thought that they would stay together for the kids. Yes. Anyway, uh, it was a family reunion. Try to think. I mean, I mean, there's there's some minor stuff. Like, I feel like an easy answer is um, is uh, Super Smash Brothers Ultimate getting every single character that has been in the game, plus some odd, like wild choices, including Sora yes. and Cloud. Yes. Like that's I think a good example because well, like told... Sephiroth, yeah, edition uh, um, Ridley, mm-hmm. for example. If you told somebody in like 2001 that there was going to be a game with all those characters in it, mm-hmm. they would not have believed you. So that I think is it's, a good example. Of it's one story. of those like here's a screenshot from the right. future and it has like, oh, all these characters like nah that's fake. There's, there's no, no way, way they're getting that character. There's no way that Sora from Kingdom Hearts is going to beat up on the villager from Animal Crossing. There's no way. There's no way you're getting Mega Man in your game. Like right. anytime they ex- ever expanded that roster, you're like no way they're actually doing <laughs> that kind of crossover. Yeah, so that I think that that's definitely one of them. Um, uh, what else? What else? What else? Uh, I think one in terms of like comic books. Avengers Infinity War, largely seen as a book that or as a comic that was unfilmable, and they did because of how much CG would be required, how much backstory would be required for all the characters, mm-hmm. and yet, son of bitches, they did it. Yeah, yeah they did. Uh, I remember even in 2012 when the first Avengers came out, I was very skeptical of it because you're taking characters who can run their own film, and you're telling them you don't have to be a side character, or you have to be on a part of an ensemble. Yeah, that too many egos would clash for the Avengers. Yeah, yeah. I think broadly speaking, I think the current um, the current uh, moment in uh, movie animation we're having right now, where they're actually experimenting with animation styles, something I never thought would happen. Yeah, it's Spider Man into the Spider Spider Verse broke everything. Broke like, Sony was willing to take a risk and it succeeded. Yes, and I think that that's really broken open the the creative freedom that artists have to put their stamp on movies, and that's awesome. Mm-hmm. I love to see that, and I thought it would never happen. Um, so that's a really cool uh, moment. Um, what else? I think the Steam Deck, Valve Steam Deck, is kind of something wild yeah. that I never thought would become mainstream. The idea of having PC games in the handheld and not some sort of weird-ass thing you ordered from an international shady website and have it be a thing that people can buy and that works really well, that's awesome. And I never saw that coming. Um, along something of those lines, just streaming in general, yeah, yeah. downloading games, like that transition in the late 2000s. Okay, yeah. They're just having a digital game day one. You don't have to pre-order from GameStop anymore. Yes. You have to you have pre-order. Yeah. You don't have to wait in line. Yeah. No longer midnight release. You can you can wait for the clock to tick over to midnight or yeah. 9 p.m. if you're West Coast time and be, okay, you now have access to this game. Play it. Yeah. Uh, even like when they did um, E3 announcements, it's like, yeah. here's this new brand new trailer. By the way, you can go and download this right now and play right. it. That stuff's cool. And I'm glad that we live in that kind of future world where that can happen. So yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure there's more. Uh, but uh, let's take a time. That'll be it. Thank you uh, for sending in the question. If you, the listener, want to send in a question that for us to answer or feedback about the show, anything you want to say, email us at mediaboatpodcast at gmail.com and we'll read it on the air just like we just did right now. And with that... We're good. We're done. Let's wrap up. Under two hours? What is this? Somehow. Uh, thank you for watching the Media Boat Podcast or listening to it. You can watch our episodes on YouTube. Our channel is Media Boat Podcast. Go there. Subscribe. Click the bell for notifications. All of that and more. We'll have plenty of shows for you to catch up on there. 
You can also listen to us in audio form on podcast services such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you listen to podcasts. Search Media Vote Podcast and find our archive. You can also find us on social media channels like Twitter, where we're at Media Vote Cast. We don't have a blue sky, okay? Stop telling me about blue sky. I don't care. The studio? No. Oh. The, Twitter, the Twitter equivalent. Oh. Um, it's guy. It's by the, the guy who created Twitter, Jack Dorsey. Oh. And it's, it's currently only available invite only on iOS platforms. Only iOS platforms? Yeah, so you have to have an invite. I don't care. It's not going to replace Twitter. Nothing's going to replace Twitter. Until Twitter goes up in flames. Yeah, well, which will happen probably soon. Um, we're also on Facebook. Search Media Boat Podcast for that page. And we're on twitch.tv slash mediaboat streaming. Like I said, you can see archives of me playing Redfall and Jedi Fall, uh, Jedi Survivor. Uh, that should be up for the next couple days. So yep. check that out on twitch.tv slash mediaboat. This week we'll be back for more. Not sure what those games will be quite yet, but we will be back. We'll be playing on Sunday, Monday, you said Tuesday, possibly uh, yeah, Tuesday, do, I usually do Tuesdays, Thursdays. So that, uh, those are my streaming days. I'll probably add the calendar, uh, start to add to the calendar, so that way that's up to date. Okay. All right, cool. That'll be it. Thank you for joining us for the Media Boat Podcast. We'll be back next week for even more. Yep, we'll be back with more news, more notes, more thoughts, and more of us. All right, see ya. Okay, bye. Bye.